first, we gave you the horror of hands. Then, we gave you the terror of trees. Now, prepare yourself for the dread of ducks. Just kidding. Welcome to this bonus episode of Monster Porn. Good day, Monster Baiters. Welcome to this bonus episode of Monster Porn Podcast. I just wanted to remind you of all the t-shirts with Nick Calavera's kick-ass artwork. The man is talented. You can find those on teespring.com slash stores slash monster porn. The next line of business is bonus episodes. I like to give Brett more work than is fair, so we're going to offer a full-length bonus episode. I'll give you full-length. Shut up, Puggles. Where was I? Oh, yeah. For every 25 new reviews, we will launch a bonus episode so that you can double the violation of your ear holes. Now on to the show. Please let it be a noise complaint. This horror punk needs to stop. Don't hate us when we're on Warped Tour a year from now. And Patrick, while we're stopped, your backing vocals have too much head voice. All he has is head voice. What is that supposed to mean? Seriously, nobody will tell me what that means. It's nothing. Don't listen to him. God damn it. I gotta get the door. Demon pig. Disembodied head in a jar. Get out of here. I can't have normal people seeing this waking nightmare we all share in this house. Head in a jar? Who is a head in a jar? We've got to tell him sometime, Matt. I don't want to deal with that right now. Can I help? Oh, my God. <laughs> Hi there. Brett, what do I do? It's still looking at me. What are you talking- Oh, God. What is it? Well, hello there. Uh, Tall, white, and hairless. Uh, hello, stout, slightly ashen, with a disquieting pencil mustache. Can we help you? Or can I shut the door now? Please say I can shut the door now. <laughs> yes. I uh, think I'm in the right place. You are the monster uh, porn guys. Aren't uh, aren't you the creep from the funeral? Mm, yes. I'm a big fan of monster porn. Oh, you know. What are you doing with your face? Is that a seizure? It's winking at us. Oh, I think I see what's going on here. I mean, not what's going on with your with your face. 
but I, I don't think you understand what we do. We're not actually porn. It's a, it's a joke, like, you know, like word porn or car porn or like one of those Facebook pages. Oh, I get you. Oh, he's doing that again with his face. What, what is he doing with his face? Oh, I, I get you. Oh, not porn at all. Nudge. Nudge. Winky, winky. Legal reasons, right? Ah, I got you, boys. No, seriously, we're not porn. We are a serious occult endeavor to produce dark art. Yes, oh, your dark art has touched me in my twilight zone. Okay, yeah, so we play up the joke sometimes, but... Oh, yes, uh, play up the joke, if joke is what I call my penis. I'm gonna stop you right there, Michael Moore. Oh, I like it when you talk all authoritatively and uh, condescendingly to me. I did like that BDSM podcast you did, uh, yes. uh... Ah, that was a joke, too. It was the Bad Dream Don't Sleep Real Good podcast. The acronym. You certainly kept me awake all night. Let's just cut to the story. <sighs> Have you guys considered sponsorship from a bad dragon? What is that? Here is a sample of their uh, products. Consider it a gift. That's a giant monster dildo. What am I supposed to do with this? Do you really need me to explain? When I came back from the walk, she was gone. A good clean break. The air in the apartment had the sense in it that a busy body had just been there. It smelled like her jacket and felt like energy. Her shoes were gone from near the door. The closet was about three quarters empty. Other things would disappear over the next two weeks while I was out of the house during the day. My box set of the X-Files disappeared. I'm pretty sure the Christmas stocking it came in had my name on it, but it's whatever. She left the pots and pans. After a couple years of having her stuck to my side, It was a little surprising to realize how easy it was to go a day, two days, a week, a month, three months, without seeing her at all, even during the first weeks while she was moving out, invisible like a poltergeist moving shit around on me. Which was fine. I was fine. Women come and women go. When things get shitty, when they start to go crazy, when I morph into an asshole when I just want to be the hell alone for a while, etc. I just needed a good minute to get over it. The first morning I woke up alone again, I curled up on the kitchen floor and cried snot for about half a minute while my toast burned. I buttered my toast and moved on into a world where I could turn on music in the morning and not piss off the cranky lump still lazing in the bed. Good enough. I craved alone time, and now I ate it up. The only difficult adjustment, really, was sleeping alone. I don't know why. It felt like sleeping naked and uncovered. Only I was both. But in a few days, the feeling passed. You know, I never really expected to be alone in my 40s, but 
On the other hand, I never really pictured myself a family man either. I guess it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. I also never imagined I'd still be working a job that could just as well take me or leave me, and I it. The evenings at the bar, well, at 26 or even 36, that made me a player. Now it made me look like an old drunk. So I only did a few nights of that before I decided it was time for my liver to retire from the sport. If I was a teetotaler now, the next best thing I could think of was to meet women at the coffee shops. So I made that a habit. But I ended up by myself just sitting in the corner seat and minding my own business most nights. After binging all the health documentaries on Netflix through November evenings, I also cleaned up my diet and started biking. I found I needed more maintenance than I used to. I'd gotten a little comfortable. My dad bod suggested that I had five children and a mortgage. I had so few kids it was practically a negative number, and I was renting a slightly slummy house. I bought a snug shirt that said Kale instead of Yale on the front, and swore I'd look good in it in a month, maybe two. No more prefab pumpkin pies from the grocery store. I wasn't a sweets guy anyway. Dessert had been her thing. One thing that never happened before is that for the first few days after the breakup, I was actually physically sick. I mean, to my stomach. I could have had a bug, I guess, but I didn't feel sick otherwise, and I had this sense that my body just wasn't holding the stress well. I didn't think much of it after I recovered. After I was alone, the prank door knocking started. The first time, it was in the afternoon, and it was straightforward. I answered the door, and no one was in sight up or down the street. I thought maybe I'd imagined it. The second time, which was in the evening a few days later, I had come to suspect it was the neighbor kids, and I listened to the bushes for kids snickering at my bafflement. I wondered, angrily, why they had decided to fuck with me all of a sudden. It happened every few days for a while, and at first I would glance out the window to make sure nobody was standing there, but I quickly came to just ignore it altogether. A few evenings I sat by the window to try to catch them, but... They never knocked when I was waiting for them. Around Christmas, my back was bothering me. So I was sleeping on the floor rather than the bed for better support. I was in the living room in front of the couch, burritoed up in a comforter. The streetlights reflecting off the old snow cast a sickly pink hue on the ceiling. Some orange lights on the next block gazed steadily between the slats of the blinds while I inhaled the dust from the carpet. The snow dampened the sounds of the night. It was crazy quiet around two or three in the morning when back pain pulled me out of a fitful sleep. The world became crystal clear as if I hadn't just been dreaming. Instantly, almost as if I had been up for an hour or two and was on my second coffee. I tried to make out the hands on the clock, but it was too dark. A roaring engine hustled down the street, pricking the hairs on my arm. The front window lit up white and then blinked out just as suddenly as the vehicle proceeded away down the block. Again, there was quiet, and I shut my eyes. Loud and clear, a knock came on the door. My eyes flashed open. Surely I had just been drifting to sleep and imagined it. No, I had the clear sense that there was a body standing on the other side of the door. I don't know why. I listened. I lifted my head so both ears were free from the pillow. The night held its breath. Outside, I sensed someone waiting patiently. It was impossible. 
but it was like I could hear somebody breathing in the otherwise silent night. There cannot be someone at the door at two in the morning, I told myself. Unless it's an emergency, and then they'd have knocked again by now. And, I added, if it isn't an emergency, then fuck them, especially if it's the kids. There was another knock. I scrambled upright as quickly as my back would let me. I could literally feel the hairs on my neck rise up. God damn it, what the shit, I thought. I caught a cough in my throat, trying not to make a sound. I crawled toward the window and peeked across the edge of the blinds. My heart thumped once, loudly, because I could see the back of some kid's head perfectly still. What the shit, I muttered. I collected my wits a bit and thought, well, if the kid's just standing there, it's not a prank this time. Maybe there is an emergency. Using the table by the door, I pulled myself up off my knees. I stared at the closed door, my hand just off the handle. Did I really want to answer the door at this hour? If I opened the door for the kid, was his daddy waiting around the corner to jack me and steal my TV? A small voice said through the door, What are you waiting for? I leapt back. I heard the light switch click behind me and I turned. There was Kaylee, wrapped in my comforter, wondering, Is everything all right? Then I woke up on my back on the floor. It was 3.33, and I got up to have a piss. My neck felt stiff in the morning, but in a weird way, in the front, and I couldn't help but rub at it as I went through the day. On my lunch, over a sandwich at the coffee shop, I realized there was a lump and it ran my blood cold, but then I felt around some more and I realized it was my glands. Had they always been that big, or were they swollen? Was I just being a hypochondriac? I deferred the decision to see a doctor until it got worse or it didn't go away. I slept fitfully again the next night. My back was still bad, and I was on the floor, but in the bedroom. I was obsessing over my slightly swollen glands, and I felt anxious and kept starting from the first reaches of sleep with a racing heart. Cruelly, I reminded myself how much safer I would have felt with someone there with me, even just if I had someone to talk over whether I should see a dog. The next day, biking to work, I heard this thumping noise, really fast, like someone running in boots, and I was perplexed to realize it was my own heart. I put my finger on my neck and tried to time it, but I couldn't. I walked my bike for a while, monitoring my pulse. All right, I told myself. I'm still just getting in shape. A few more months of eating healthy and this won't happen. Later, after dinner, when it felt like I had bad gas right under my sternum and couldn't sleep, I told myself it was just that. It was slightly to the left, just over my stomach, I told myself. I sat up and hugged my knees and was shaking. I decided to put on the light and read until I could calm down. I just needed to make it to morning, I told myself. And then if I don't feel good, I'll get checked out. I'll keep eating right, and I'll only get better. There was a knock. It was ten at night in January, so not horribly late, but plenty dark. I almost didn't get up, telling myself it was definitely going to be a prank knock. But I thought I should at least peek and check. As I crept toward the window, not yet turning on the lights, I was reminded strongly of the dream. When I looked out the window, there was no one. 
Then a part of me sighed in relief. Another part moaned in frustration. But then a child stepped back from the door and into view. She was staring at the door patiently, a kid older and taller than the one had been in the dream. I coughed. Well, I'm committed to opening the door now, I thought. I flicked on the light, first inside, and then the porch light, and then I opened the door. Can I help you? I asked, tired and cranky and blanket-draped. A girl, maybe fifteen-ish, not bad-looking, if an old geezer may say so, waited on the stoop staring at her toes. Dark curls fell from her crown. I now noticed that a younger boy waited behind her. Her brother, I guessed. I need help, she said coldly. Her body barely moved, arms straight at her sides. What is it, I wondered, a little softer. Are you okay? No, she told me. What's wrong, I asked her. I started to stoop to try to see her face better. Can I come in while you call for help? Yeah, yes, I told her. But you have to tell me what's wrong and who you are. Reluctant, I stepped aside and let her and her brother come in, which they did without raising their eyes or looking around the house. Their arms remained straight at their sides. I grabbed my phone off the charger on my desk. Now you need to tell me what's going on, I said, looking at my phone and pressing the home button over and over. It wouldn't wake up. I had just been charging the thing. I looked and saw that the charger was plugged into the wall. The girl hadn't answered. I looked at her. And now she was staring at me, with pure obsidian eyes. I clutched at my chest and stepped backward, stuttering the word what over and over. The kids never did answer my question. And now they stay in the corner where she had come in the door, or another corner, when I'm in other rooms. When my trembling hand passed through the kids later that first night, I knew I was just sick, and if I got better, the children would go away. At some point, they merged together. The being was taller as one. After a day or two, she, or it, the aggregate, started wearing a mask over her mouth, like Asian people wear during a germ scare. I never see her move corner to corner when I go to another room, but I hear her swift footsteps like a racing heartbeat. Then I look, and she is there. If she is a she anymore, bald and about seven feet tall and skinny. Her clothes had started out normal, but now they're like hazmat gear or maybe like what a surgeon wears. Yeah, that. I can't tell where her black eyes are looking, but I bet they watch everything. I writhe in the night. Some nights it feels like my chest is about to burst. Like there's a balloon inflating in there, and I tell myself I'll get better. I just need to keep taking care of myself, and this will go away.
Theo took another look at the photo on the desk in front of him. No, that, that's not her, he said. Mr. Davis, Theo, you didn't even look at them. Just look. Really look so we can definitively say it's not her. We can't see it, Officer Clive said. He was wearing a white shirt, rolled up at the elbows. His shoulder holster was empty. Theo sighed, grabbed the picture, and then rolled his chair back. He looked around and then at the photo. At first, he looked lazily, but then he cocked his head and squinted. No, he said and threw the picture down under the table. These aren't her. Well, it looks a lot like her, Officer Clive said. Except for maybe the eyes. I don't know why her eyes look that way. Christy has a scar on her cheek by her ear where she fell from a tree and got cut. This girl's cheek is turned towards the camera. If this were her, there would be a scar right there. He pointed to the picture, and Brendan Clive frowned and shook his head. Damn. You're right. I remember that cut. When she came over for Lily's sixth birthday, she had it bandaged up. Theo didn't respond. He just stared, gaunt-faced and ill-looking. Clive couldn't remember him ever looking so awful. When Christy had first gone missing, it was horrible. The whole community was shaken, and Theo had taken it the way any good dad should. But then, as the weeks turned to months, Theo began losing weight and any semblance of the good-hearted man he'd been disappeared. All Clive saw was a shadow, a pale shadow, of the man that Theo had been, like an exposed bone. Theo went home the way he always did, retracing the steps he thought Christy may have taken. She was three blocks away from the police station when she had disappeared, and it was as though God had snapped his fingers and taken her. No one saw a thing. Some rumors went around town about a drifter, and a couple of old-timers got real suspicious of a young black man who'd moved to town recently. But those old-timers were always suspicious of anyone who didn't look like they'd been pushed out of the vanilla side of God's ice cream machine. He went up the hill, went ten squares up the sidewalk, and then stepped over the broken square where the roots had pushed up underneath the walkway. There was a small maintenance shed on the side of the tennis court. He stopped and stared. Someone took her from there. If someone had been right there behind the shed, no one would have seen them. From the shed, it wouldn't have taken much to get her to the forest's edge, and then from there, it would be no problem to get to the walking path and down to the little-used access road where a car could have been parked. Other rumors had gone around town. There were people saying they'd seen weird lights or heard strange voices. A group of teenagers said that some boys from out of town had been doing rituals in the basement of an old mill trying to summon the devil himself. Theo didn't buy any of that. Someone had taken her from right here by this broken step on the sidewalk. The only building with a window facing this exact spot was closed around the time that she went missing. It was three in the afternoon on a Tuesday, or some time around then. Theo had just gone to the store to get some groceries. He, being self-employed, stayed home Tuesdays so that his wife could go to school. It had been Theo and his girls, 
and Christy had gone out riding her bike like she did every day. All kids in the town of Reeds did. It was a place where everyone knew everyone. Of course, there was one man who was immediately blamed, a 50-year-old cemetery groundskeeper named Ryan Keel, who was on the sex offender registry for feeling up a 13-year-old girl behind a Dairy Queen about 10 years back. He was a pathetic-looking man, but he had an alibi. He was attending his grandmother's funeral in Austin, and he had the plane tickets and all. So that left Theo with the evidence. The mailman, Sam, had seen Christy ride her bike past the Grab and Grub, the convenience store on the corner of 3rd and Delphi. Christy had waved and gone south, past the old mill towards the station. She was heading to the park on the other side, just like she had asked to do. She never made it the five blocks from where the mailman saw her to the police station where cameras picked up everything in a one-block radius. It had happened right here. He was convinced. The problem was that the day she'd gone missing, one of those late spring storms hit about an hour after Theo realized something was wrong. They just started searching, and the temperature dropped from the mid-60s down to about 25 as the clouds blew in. Seven inches of snow dumped in about six hours, and any chance of them finding a footprint in the dirt by the tennis courts was completely washed away by the quick runoff and the rain the following day. Theo walked over to the shed and looked around. Then he turned and went back to the street and passed the old mill. He paused for a moment and looked through a newly broken window. Something was drawn on the wall inside, a circle of some kind. A man bumped into him, almost from out of nowhere. Hey man, you want something? A voice said, and Theo turned to see Mike Klintowski staring at him, rubbing his tongue against the back side of the black stud that pierced his lower lip. Theo didn't say anything. Mike was a local metalhead and troublemaker whose greasy black hair never looked clean and who smelled of cigarettes. Theo started to walk away. Oh, you're that dude whose little girl went missing. Some people say it happened right here, you know, like in this building. Theo mumbled something, and Mike said, What? Speak up, man. I said it didn't happen here. Oh, and how do you know? You know, some people think it was you, man, Mike said. They took dogs through here, and they didn't catch a single scent, Theo mumbled. And then Mike said something, but Theo didn't hear it. He felt the world swirling around him. There was a blackness rising in him. The accusation started shortly after it had become obvious that the police had nothing. It was just Theo's word. That, and the fact that there was only about a half an hour of his day that wasn't accounted for. He had been a suspect for all of one day as far as the police were concerned. It wasn't you, was it? You're not some freaky murderer, are you, dad man? Mike said. I'm not. Theo said in a whisper, but then focused his gaze directly on Mike's self-impressed eyes. But if you don't fuck off, that's going to change. The dreams came again that night. It was the same one. The man with the long hair and the grin stood outside of his house. Theo was inside with the curtains drawn, lying on his bed, but could somehow see him as though he were clairvoyant. The man stood in the darkness, 
grinning a smile that reflected the light from a street lamp. Otherwise, he was only a shadow. Then it started. A shape would pass back and forth in front of the window, accompanied by a strange sound. Whomp, whomp, whomp. Theo would fight to open his eyes to slits before his lids would fall again. The sound would come back. Whomp, whomp, whomp. And then he'd open his eyes and swear for a moment that there was a shadow in the room. Then it stopped and he was awake. But he had to go to his front door to make sure that the man wasn't across the street. He would walk through the hallway to the entryway and find himself standing in his dark house, but suddenly the front door would be a few stories above ground level, and at the bottom of a long series of steps, there were faceless strangers standing, and he had the distinct feeling they were grinning up at him, waiting to get in, and then, by the door, a shadow of what looked like a boy about four feet tall would run across the living room, and a giggle echoed through the house. Theo woke up and sat up in his bed, feeling like he was drunk and struggling to separate the dream from reality. Times like this, when he woke up alone in his house, he remembered how it felt before when his house was full. Before Caitlin had taken Missy, his younger daughter, and moved back across the country with his in-laws. His thoughts were interrupted by a knock on his door. He went to the door and said, Who, Who's there? We need help, sir, a young girl's voice said. Please, will you open the door? Theo was silent. Open the door, sir, please, the voice said. I, I, I can't. I'm just dreaming again. Now, now go away and let me sleep, Theo said, then went back into his room, fell on his bed, and slipped in and out of fitful sleep with dreams of gnashing teeth and claws in the dark. Theo, I just want to be honest with you. We have exhausted every resource other than time. There are no clues to where Christy may have gone or what might have happened. Even the FBI has pulled away. You're giving up? Theo said. No, we just don't have anything else to give right now. Our resources are limited, we're over our budget, and I can't even continue to put men on a search that has yielded no results. The case is still open, but we're at the mercy of luck or whoever did this. Whoever has Christy is winning. We don't even know if anyone has her, Theo. You know how she likes to play down at the river, and she could have gone there if she had gone through the trees and into the old road. If she'd have fallen in at the wrong point, who knows what could have happened to her. You bastard. I'm not saying she's dead, Theo. I'm saying that all we know for now is that we have nowhere else to look. It's up to the man upstairs at this point. Well, fuck you then, Brendan, Theo said as he stood up. Officer Clive just looked at him as Theo turned to go. Okay, there is one last thing we're looking into, but God, I don't see how it could be connected. But people have been complaining about being woke up by kids playing knock-knock. Theo turned and shrugged. Officer Clive leaned in closer and whispered, you know, what we played as kids? Nigger knocking? And you think my daughter disappeared for five months to play pranks on the neighborhood? 
Well, well, I told you we're tapped out. We don't have any trees to shake, man. That night, Theo sat in his living room, sipping on a Red Bull. He looked at the clock. It was 1.30. At 2, he was going to take a marijuana edible and hope that he'd be asleep by 3. The dreams always happened between 1 and 3 in the morning. At 10 minutes to 2, someone knocked on the front door. Hello? Theo said. Who? Who's there? Mister, we need help. A child's voice said flatly. Yeah, mister, can you let us in? Another child, a girl this time, said, and Theo got up and moved toward the door. He unlocked the door, but then attached the chain to the slider and cracked the door open. Oh my god, he thought as he looked at the children. They were looking down, and he couldn't really see them, but is her, or, or, or could be, he thought. The girl on the other side of the door had long, curly blonde hair, and the tip of her nose was pushed up slightly, just like Christy. But, but, but what? It was her. It had to be her. But there was still a nagging feeling that stayed Theo's hand. The boy was a few inches taller, and he had black hair. Both kids were dressed oddly, like they were going to church, like it was the 70s. Christy had never worn a formal black dress like that before. She wore dresses in the summer and jeans with sweaters in the winter. I don't... I, I, I don't... Who, who are you? Mister, we just need your help. You need to let us in, the boy said. Theo looked at the girl and saw there was no scar by her ear and no freckles. Christy had freckles, but nonetheless... Theo opened the door. Can we come in, sir? The boy asked. Sir, we need to come in, the girl said. Why would she call me sir? Theo thought. Christy would never call me sir. She'd call me daddy. I'm her dad. It went from da to dada to dada. And then she stayed with daddy. This isn't her. This cannot be her. Uh, hold on. Theo said, and he took his phone from his pocket. If you need help, call the police, he said. We don't want the police, sir, the boy said. We just want in, sir. Do you not want to help us? The little girl asked. Yes. Do you have no interest in helping children? The boy asked. Their voices were so flat and emotionless that Theo began to feel panic rising up in his chest. But it looks like her! A voice inside his head screamed. No, no, I, I do. I, I of all people do. You have no idea how badly, but... He said and thought, but what? Fear was taking him like an ocean tide. He felt absolutely paralyzed. He couldn't reach to close the door or step away. I'll just make... I'll just make a phone call, he said. No! Just let us come in. Why will you not let us come in? The boy demanded. Mister, we aren't safe out here. We need to come in. The girl shouted. Yes, let me in. Let us in. The boy shouted and raised his head. There were two black holes where his eyes should have been. Something seemed to slither in the darkness of those holes. Please, the girl pleaded. Theo looked at her. Christy? He thought, it is you. 
Okay, he said. Okay, you can come in. The night froze as though someone had pressed the button on a video recording, pausing the whole world. The wind ceased, and the noise of the crickets went silent. It was all Theo could do to move his eyes. He saw something moving, just out of the reach of the streetlights. A sound, like the pulsing of energy, womp, 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 seemed to come from inside of Theo's head. He could feel it, whatever it was, grinning at him in the darkness. Officer Brendan Clive brought Theo some coffee and donuts one Saturday morning. Clive was off duty that day, but he hadn't seen or heard anything from Theo ever since that last meeting. There had been a phone call, someone saying they'd seen a little girl matching Christie's description in a shopping mall a few hundred miles away. It was slim, but he thought Theo should know they were going to check it out. He knocked on the door. The car was in the driveway, but the grass hadn't been cut in weeks. Theo's wife had left months ago, so it was just Theo here now, and he worked as a web developer, so if he didn't want to see people, he didn't have to. Clive began to get a little nervous, so he knocked again, louder this time. A man Clive wouldn't have recognized had he seen him in any other place answered the door. It was Theo. His hair was long and unwashed. His eyes looked like sunken bits of charcoal and were surrounded by dark purple rings. The veins on his arms stood out and looked too red. He was covered in small lumps. My God, Theo, have you seen a doctor? No, no doctors, Theo said. Clive stepped into the living room as Theo went to the sink and filled a glass of water, then brought it back to the officer. There is no fucking way I'm drinking that, Officer Clive said. Theo, you're horribly sick. We need to get you to a doctor right now. No, I can't leave, Theo said. Theo, I know you've been through a lot. Hell, losing Christy rocked half this town, and they barely knew her compared to you. But you need to trust me. Christy, Theo said as though he were just remembering something. Yes, my God, Theo, your daughter, Officer Clive said as he felt a drip on his arm. Clive looked up, and on the ceiling of the large, open, two-story front room of the house, there were two slimy black bags that looked, if you were feeling particularly imaginative, like large cocoons, and something inside of them began to move. turned my brown mirror black. That doesn't even make sense. Or does it? Yes. You need to leave now. Hey, what's going on here? No, Puggles, I told you to stay in the basement. Put your tentacles away!
Tentacles. Did somebody say tentacles? Oh, no. What is at the door? It's your cute piggy demon mascot. I think I'm in love. Big fan. Oh, oh, God. Can I pet it? Oh, no. What is the creepy porn guy doing to Puggles? Avert your eyes. I can't avert them. They have died. I didn't know you could fit a teacup piggy in there. No! Monster Porn Podcast is a production of Warped Box Media, who is very ashamed. Connect with Monster Porn Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or else. Or else things will go on like normal? And who wants normal? Good day, Monster Baiters. Brett here. Remember, review Monster Porn Podcast on Apple Podcasts. For every 25 reviews that come in, we will give you a full-length bonus episode. Also, if you've been following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you may have seen a lovable little Lovecraftian abomination named Nermal. He's a cartoon character who first cropped up around the time of Inktober last year. Some of you have wanted to see more of the little guy. Well, keep your eye on our social media. The little entity of darkness may have his day in the sun, the asshole sun. Lastly, you may also have seen on our social media some damn fine-looking models wearing our gear. Get the Nick Calavera t-shirt at teespring.com stores monsterporn or through monsterpornpodcast.com. That's all for now. Until next time, monster baiters, stay weird. And until the shark angels come, Godspeed, strange cowboy. For every 25 reviews that come in, we will release a few of... God damn it, Brett. Spit the words out. Theo mumbled, and then Mike said, What? Theo would fight to open his eyes, but he only managed... Shit. (laughs) A shadow of what looked like a boy about four feet tall would run across the living room and a giggo, a giggo, <laughs> a giggle and echo went together there. A giggle echoed through the house. A giggo. We need help, sir. A young, is that the right kind of voice? <laughs> After I was alone, the prank door knocking. <laughs> door knocking. Or, or another corner when I am in other rooms. My trembling hand passed through the kids later than at first. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Fuck a duck. Wank.
Scooby Dooby Duck, what the fuck? Why are you not a dog now? Scooby Dooby Duck, what the fuck? You're just sitting on a log now.